0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Graysill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Good morning, guys. Come on, that's, you can do better than that. Good morning! Alright, I want you to guys to say it with me, today is a good day, but I want you to say it like you mean it, because it really is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. So you ready? Today is a good day. You guys sounded awesome. So glad you're here, so glad you're here. Also, they, we have those that are listening online today. Would you guys welcome those who are listening online today? Come on. All right, it is a good week. We're in our last week, week four of our Q&A series. It's been a really good series. Something I really loved is last week there was a family of ours on vacation. They were out of town, and uh, I had lunch with him on Thursday, and he said, hey, I really enjoyed Sunday's message. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, man, I listened to it online. It was so good. And I love hearing that when our people are on vacation and they're going to church while out of town, or they're catching up uh, back when they're back in town, or even while they're still on the trip. So uh, really, really good stuff. Got glad to hear that. We're going to jump into today's message, but before we do, I want us to pray together. So would you as a church, would you stand with me today before we pray? And I want you to put your hand over your heart, and I want you just to ask the Lord to speak to you for you to have an open heart. So if you would, let's put our hand over our heart this morning. Father today, speak to us. That, Lord, it would be about your Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. It would be your Holy Spirit speaking to us and revealing truth and direction and principles of how to live our lives, Lord. And it wouldn't be a cultural Christianity, but inward transformation that happens because of your Holy Spirit inside of us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And together we said, amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Let's jump in. The first question that we have today, if you look on your screens, is this. They said, can I get a sermon dissecting 1 Corinthians seven twenty-five through 40? And as a single person, how am I to interpret that? How am I to think about that? And am I missing God in desiring marriage? That's a really a good question there. It's a common question. And sometimes really what they're saying is I'm single. I want to get married. Is that wrong? Sometimes the question behind the question when this comes out is, is it God's will for me to be single? And there's a, maybe a fear that it is God's will for them to be single. And they're saying, I don't want to be single. So is it wrong for me to want to be married when maybe God wants me single? And so we're not sure exactly, but that's the question. let's jump into the passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, here's what it says. "'Now regarding your question about the young women "'who are not yet married, "'I do not have a command for the Lord from them, for them. "'But the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom "'that can be trusted.'" Verse 26 goes on and says, "'Because of the present crisis, "'I think it is best to remain as you are. "'If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. "'If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married.'" But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles and I'm trying to spare you the problems. How many of you know, how many of you are married and you know that there are problems? How many, every married person said? What are you talking about? You're supposed to look at your spouse and say, everyone but you, honey. (laughs) Everyone but you, baby. Baby, honey, you and I never had problems. It's just cotton candy and rainbows through our whole marriage. I, I love you, baby. <laughs> we had an argument on Friday. Let me just say, I had an argument. She was listening. I was arguing. And so I had to go to her and apologize last night or yesterday morning. And then last night to my daughter who heard part of it. So... Just saying that you're going to have problems in marriage and it's because of our human frailty. It goes on in verse 32 and it says this. I want you to be free from the concerns of life, of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about the earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided So really in singleness, sometimes it says that you can serve the Lord without a dividing of attentions and affections and energies. It goes on and it says, in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Let's stop there for just a moment. I want to see if if you understood that, if you captured that husbands and wives that you are work to work hard to serve and love and care for and help and assist the other person in the marriage that this is a priority of your life if you're married it's not the priority it's a big priority though your first priority is to love the Lord God with all your heart mind soul and strength this is the first and greatest commandment but In this high priority of life is family and marriage, and so it's just saying, hey, there is a big part of taking care of one one another, pursuing each other, taking care of yourself and pursuing your spouse and loving your spouse. So this is not yet the added responsibility of someone who's single, but if you're married, understand, though he's addressing singleness in some ways, he's saying if you're married, Take care of your spouse. Love them. Serve them. Take care of yourself so that it's a benefit to them as well. Healthy and loving. So so I want to make sure you capture that. Husbands and wives, you have the priority of each other under God. All right, it goes on in verse 35, and it says, I'm saying this for your benefit. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I love that. That if you can serve the Lord better as a couple, then get married. But if you can serve the Lord better as a single, stay single. But if you can, together, I felt like I could serve God better. I could be more effective in ministry. I could love the Lord better by being married. And so I was like, we, well, let's get married because I want us to love the Lord best. So here's what he's saying. Whatever will help you serve the Lord best. But listen to this, verse 36, really interesting. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancee improperly and inevitably will give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes." It's not a sin. So I want you to capture what he's really saying, meaning that if you're lusting, you can't keep your hands off of them. You think you're going to give in to the physical passion, then you need to get married. It's not a sin to get married. And so I just want to tell you this, that when Tamara and I were dating, I was able to stay holy and keep my hands to myself. But Tamara, we had to get married because she couldn't keep... I was willing to serve the Lord single. She had to get married because of this passage. (laughs) I need to go pray and repent for lying right now. (laughs) Verse 37. But if he has decided firmly not to marry there is no urgency and he can control his passion, me versus her, then he does not need to marry at all. So the person who marries his fiancee does well. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. And so really, here's what I want to say in regards to the question at hand. Am I wrong to desire marriage? And the answer is no, not at all. Particularly according to the passage that was included in the question, not at all. Marriage is designed to be this beautiful Joining together this beautiful, good marriage, a spiritual union, one with another, to where our love for each other reflects God's love for us. So no, it is not at all, you're not wrong or missing God by desiring marriage. At the same time, though, I want to encourage you with this, enjoy enjoy your singleness while you have it. Don't ruin your mo- your season of singleness by overly desiring something that maybe is not yet in the timing of God for your lives, because. I want to encourage you to grow as strong as you can spiritually as a single person. Be as whole and complete in God as you can uh, and growing in contentment while you're single. And that we often think in our culture that two broken pieces coming together make a whole marriage. When really, no, just no, it's not the case at all. Two broken people coming into a marriage make a broken marriage that needs healing by God. But two whole people coming into a marriage makes a marriage whole because you're content in who you are in Christ because another person will never fully complete you. So enjoy your singleness. Also in Matthew 19, it says this, that singleness is okay. In fact, in fact singleness is okay and some are to do it it's difficult but it's also a good thing so but if you're desiring marriage you're probably not called to be single so you're not missing god by desiring marriage excuse me i'm sorry can i can i get a drink right quick i'm sorry uh i need to wet my throat right quick oh thanks thanks anson I was expecting water, but how am I going to open this? Oh, wait. I got my trusty uh, bottle opener in my back pocket that I always carry. It says, originally brewed in England, micro-brewed, imported around the world. I've never had this. Never had it, but <clears throat> I am having a little trouble with my throat here. So, uh, so maybe I can take a drink of this. Let me just ask a question, everyone participating around the room, if I were to open this like that, how many of you in here would be uncomfortable with me taking a drink of this right now? Come on, raise them up. How many of you would be uncomfortable? Raise them up high. Everybody participating. How many of you would be uncomfortable right now? Raise them up high. Really, really high. Keep them up. Keep them up. Some of you are lying and your spouse is bumping you, I can see. Okay, now who in here says okay, Pastor? You've been working hard on this series, and the questions, and you—I mean, you deserve to have a drink. Come on, raise anybody in here. Say it's okay. You think it's okay? Okay, there are. Well, just so you know, it's it's root beer, microbrewed root beer soda, and so. uh I can have a drink because it's soda, but some of you in here, even drinkers in the room were uncomfortable with me drinking this on stage. Interesting, interesting. So this is a huge question. Several years ago, this was a massive question that can Christians drink alcohol? In fact, it's still a big question that comes up a lot even today. So culturally, in some corners, that if I were to have a drink, it would be a massive deal, massive disapproval. I mean, it would be a big deal. And then in some corners, it would be offensive if I didn't have the drink. Culturally, it's different in different places, even in Christian circles. But can a Christian, from a biblical perspective, drink alcohol? The key point that I wanna say here is from the Bible because that is the guide for our lives and for our opinions is the Bible. Culture doesn't determine what is right and wrong for us, the Bible does. Can I say that across, again across the room? Culture does not determine what is right and wrong for us, the Bible does, amen? Amen, it's really important for us to understand. And so what I wanna say is, can, what does the Bible say in regards to drinking alcohol for the Christian. First, if we're going to talk about alcohol, we have to admit from biblical principles that getting drunk is a sin. Ephesians 5.18 says don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So not only is getting drunk a sin, but what happens after getting drunk continues to lead us into more sin. So getting drunk is wrong, and it's dangerous, and according to Scripture, getting drunk is a sin. On the other hand, if we're looking at Scripture, we have to acknowledge in regards to alcohol that if we have a drink and we don't get drunk, it's not a sin. In fact, 1 Timothy says this in chapter 5, verse 23, hey, stop drinking only water. Have a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent illnesses. So if you're having Mexican food, and you have a beer with that, or you have uh, uh, wine with your dinner, according to the Bible, that that is not a sin. But the bigger question for us as Christians is not is it sin or not sin, but is it beneficial for our lives? First Corinthians 6.12 says this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So the question for us today is, is that we need to ask ourselves as believers is drinking alcohol for us beneficial. Now there's a video we're going to watch just for a moment of another church where they got all their campus pastors together and they dealt with the question of beneficial versus permissible. So let's watch that video now. So the question for us is when drinking alcohol, when could it go wrong for you? Could it be when you went home with someone who was not your spouse Could it be when maybe that you wrecked your car and wrapped it around a tree? Could it be when you lose the respect of your children? Could it go wrong when you possibly set a wrong example for your children? Or when your life is wrecked with addiction? So although everything is beneficial, not everything is is, uh, permissible, not everything is beneficial. And so here's the point of any conversation on alcohol that both sides and both viewpoints are trying very, very hard to justify their point of view. No, you can't have alcohol. Absolutely, we can have alcohol. You can take it too far, a little stuff so for your stomach's sake. And really, who's to determine what is too far in regards to alcohol? So let me take this just a little bit further. And this is really a great thing that we've already clarified that getting drunk is too far, but the Bible does say if you drink and don't get drunk that that is something permissible. So let me go a little bit further in regard to this whole conversation. There's a few things in the Bible that it says don't do. One of them is don't get drunk. There are a few things the Bible says absolutely you have to do. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in the middle are these things in which the Bible talks about permissible and beneficial. It gives us permissions and warnings. And in regards to alcohol, the Bible gives us plenty of warnings to go along with the permissions. And so I wanna walk through as we round this out just a few verses for us today that really I felt in my heart that we should walk through. Number one is Proverbs 29 or 23, 29 through 32. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions and complaints, who has wounds without cause and redness of eyes? Those who linger long, you should capture that, those who linger long at wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in a cup, when it swirls around smoothly. For in the end, or this version says, at last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. And your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. There's a clear warning for us in Scripture to be very careful in regards to alcohol. Warnings and sorrows and bloodshot eyes as if it goes too far. The end result of it, it talks about basically there, is addiction and your heart will utter perverse things. It goes on and it says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here it is, it's saying if you're in search of something to fill you, something to calm your nerves and to ease your mind and something that you need to give you rest, it's saying, hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need in life. It's saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's warning that it could be a distraction. Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, "'Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever's led astray from them is not wise.'" It can be something that leads us astray. And then it says this in Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, "'It's not for kings to drink wine, "'nor for rulers to crave beer, "'lest they drink and forget what has been decreed "'and deprive all the oppressed people of their rights.'" So it's saying that there's a possibility of impaired judgment, another warning. Isaiah says two different times, woe to those who are champions at mixing drinks. Romans 14 says this, is it not better, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So we can't say that's saying don't drink wine because then it would have to say you don't eat meat. What it's saying is we don't want to cause people to stumble by the way that we live our lives. And so here's where it comes really close to home to Grace Hill and really in general, but it's, this is really like family business right here for us, is that you guys know that we own this entire facility and we have a tenant that rents from us called the lake Highlands family group amazing group of people i love them great relationship but there are many people in their lives that have battled addiction for short seasons or extended seasons and so in regards to never causing someone to stumble for us this is for us this is one of the reasons that we will never have alcohol as a part of our spiritual gatherings and you say, well, of course you don't have alcohol in church. No, I'm talking about connection groups. I'm talking about our, our cookouts. I'm talking about our barbecues, our outreaches, because we never want to be the reason that someone would stumble in their lives. Kids getting the wrong message. Okay, hey, I can drink this, but yet they don't know moderation Or hey, former addict relapsing. Or someone introduced to it not knowing that they wouldn't be able to handle it and they fall into addiction. So we're gonna handle this topic graciously and lovingly but incredibly carefully. Amen? You understand the heart here? That we're gonna handle this very, very carefully because of the warnings of Scripture but also because of us not causing any other person to stumble. So kind of to wrap this up, if we look at scripture, we have to admit that getting drunk is clearly never okay in a sin, although it's permissible to drink if we don't get drunk, but the question we always have to ask is permissible versus beneficial. All right, so since this is a root beer, I think that I can have a sip, right? Amen? Ah. Uh. Now, if I just had some ice cream to mix with that, it would be awesome. The last question is a great question. So here we go. Let's jump into the last question together. It says this, why be good? Why should a Christian be good if they know all they have to do is ask for, ask for forgiveness and it will be given to them? It's really a good question. In fact, that question alone would have been great, but the question went on the person who submitted it. It said, why should, for example, this is really incredible. If we go to the next slide, for example, why should a husband or wife be faithful if they knew that they can mess up and just ask God for forgiveness? Or why should someone not tell a lie if they know that they will be forgiven just by asking. So first, there's a pretty serious question that we have there, a great question, but then we bring in the examples, and it brings it to a whole nother level. I mean, you would agree, the first question, great question. In fact, that's not a new question. That question there was asked in the New, Te- the new Testament church in the first century. It was asked then, and, we're gonna, and it's asked now. But then it brings it to really personal so let me say this: There are two aspects to this question. The actual the question deals or the actual question deals with God and theology, biblical truths and principle. The other example deals with people, relationships, character, and trust. So let's deal with the main question and man, we could really get into this. We could carry this question on as a series almost, but we're going to keep it as concise as we can here today. So let's deal with the question first and we'll tie the examples on at the end. So why be good when we can just ask for forgiveness? Now we need to understand this today is that God's grace is huge. The forgiveness that we have, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, man, God's grace is amazing for us. And it's a gift that we receive from God simply by asking Christ to forgive us and asking the Lord to be the Lord of our lives. Rejecting sin, turning to Christ, that we have this amazing grace. And though the grace of God is given to us as a gift, it wasn't free. That Christ paid the debt for us when he died, when he was crucified, when he was murdered on the cross. He paid for our forgiveness and gives it by asking. So why should we be good? If you're taking notes today, I want you to write a few of these things down. First reason why we should be good is that when you gave your heart to the Lord, you died to yourself and you are alive in Christ. Romans chapter 6 addresses this really well. In fact, if you want to read a theologically rich, deep book, go read the book of Romans. It's incredible. But read it in short sections and process it because it's so full. But Romans 6 says this, What then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, shall I I go on sinning? Can I go do the other things I want to do and just come back home and ask for forgiveness? Can I do that because God will forgive me? Can I keep on sinning? And it goes on and he says, by no means. He says, we are those who've died to sin. How can we go and live in it any longer that we go and we're unfaithful and we come home, we say, oh, Lord, forgive me, I'm not gonna do it again till my next business trip. Oh, I told a lie, I told a lie, God, I'm so sorry, I'm not gonna make it right and tell the truth, but Lord, forgive me until the next time that I have the opportunity to lie. It's saying this, and this, is a, this was a common question, they had to address this in the New Testament church, first century, so really, We are those who've died to those things, and how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He died, we died to ourselves. For if we have been united with Jesus in his death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we've died to ourselves; we're alive in Christ. For we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin would be done away with, that we're no longer slaves to sin. You see that, that we are ruled by sin, that the body ruled by sin is done away with. It's gone, that we will no longer be slaves to sin. Well hey, you know what, God will forgive me so I'm not real, I can quit any time. How many of you have ever heard that before? I'm giving the Lord everything except for next weekend. You see, the, you see the logic of the question? That I'm giving the Lord today, but I might not give him tomorrow night. Do you realize that Christianity is not a portion of our life? It is all of our lives or none of our life. So let's go on. It says, because anyone who has died has been set free. Now, if we died with Christ and we believe that, we will also live with him. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then Titus 2.11 says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace isn't to keep us sinning. It isn't for us to to, that we will keep sinning. It's it's to free us from that. I want to read, in fact, I want to read that verse again. For the grace of God has appeared to all men that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Guys, we're never going to achieve perfection. Now, if you say, okay, Michael, man, I mess up. What does that mean in regards to this? We're never going to achieve perfection. In fact, did you know Paul in the New Testament? Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the greatest evangelist, evangelist we know. Paul said in Romans 7, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And he's frustrating because he's saying like, I'm still fighting against my fleshly body and trying to live according to the Lord. But I want you to understand here is that this goes back to motive and not abusing the grace of God. Paul's saying, I don't want to do it, and I sometimes fall into it. I don't want to do it, and sometimes I, 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 or I do, and sometimes I don't, because sometimes sin isn't just the bad things we do, but a lack of doing what God has called us to do. And so he's saying, man, I still struggle, but it's motive. It's completely different than saying, hey, I'm going to go and do this because I know God will forgive me, so it's not really that big a deal. God's grace isn't that you know, special. His death on the cross, I'll just keep taking advantage of it not enjoying the benefits gratefully, humbly (sighs) our hearts broken, rejoicing not just receiving the benefits but abusing and taking advantage of so why be good, number two is sin displeases God, Ephesians 4 30 says and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live, remember he has identified you as his own 1 John 2.15, it says, if anyone loves the world or anyone loves sin, the love of the Father is not in him. Guys, as we sin, it is an offense to God. And when we purposefully sin, rebelliously sin, continually sin, habitually sin, simply because God will forgive me, then we are continually grieving the Holy Spirit and it's an offense to what God has planned for your life. So why be good? Number three is that sin ultimately hardens our heart. That as we continue to sin, it hardens our heart, especially if God has convicted us. How many of you have ever sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Come on, raise them up high. That you started to do something, and you're like, uh, no, I shouldn't do it. Or you did something and you're like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so, Lord, I repent. Like that conviction. Sin hardens our heart. James says it this way in chapter one. It says, we're dragged away by our own desires. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So desire, temptation, and then we give in and we feel conviction and then we go back repeatedly, purposefully, rebelliously. We go back and do it because God will forgive. Man, I'm telling you, ultimately it hardens our heart. And sin has one result, death. Sin has one result, and Satan, who's been sinning from the beginning, has one desire for our lives, to bring destruction to us. And let me say this, it is not biblical for a person to sin habitually, continually, repeatedly, and have that as a lifestyle and still be a believer. 1 John 3, 8 and 9 says it this way in the New Living Translation. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning, but the God, Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. In fact, I want us to read that again. Those who have been born into God's family, those who have tasted God's grace, those who have followed God, who've been born into God's family, do not make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, not the life of the world, not the sinful nature. We've died to that and God's life is now in us and we are no longer living that way on purpose. You see, those who have been saved by Christ, saved by the grace of Christ, though they don't continue to sin on purpose. Second Corinthians, Paul says, "Man, examine yourself, test your faith, and see what it's like." And for us, being good on Sunday—in fact, God never called us to be good on Sunday. He never called us to be good. He called us to be righteous. Let me say that again. God never called us to be good. God never called us to be good. He called us to be godly because of Christ's life in us and Christ's work on the cross. We were never called to be good. We were called to be godly. And being good on Sunday but continuing in, in sins on the other days is called religious, not righteous. In fact, that's something you need to write down or say amen about right there. That's really good. I mean, that's really good, Michael. <laughs> High five. Yeah, there we go. God never called us to be religious. He never called us to be religious. He called us to be righteous. And in other words, that if we live the way, that way to where we're good on Sunday and we're ungodly on other days and we're good when it kind of fits our social calendar and not good when it fits our social calendar, our desires and not good, I want to tell you this. You're not even a Christian. If an individual insists on living an unchristian life, even after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that they continue to habitually, purposely, unrepentantly, rebelliously continue to sin, that we could even suspect that they never knew God in the first place because the life of God is not in them. Now, my theology allows for us to have a conversion experience and that then we choose to walk away. It's not like we lose our salvation, like, whoops, where did it go? I can't find my keys. I can't find my salvation. No, 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 that we choose to reject and walk away from. But either way, whether you are an eternal security or you're a person that believes in in backsliding, no matter what theology you are, we both believe that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how you're forgiven. We both believe that the person habitually, continually, repeatedly, rebelliously, unrepentantly living in sin is not saved. We would just say you had a conversion experience and then you walked away from it and rejected the eternal security would say you never knew God in the first place because once you tasted grace, you would never live like this and trash the grace of God by saying I can continue to sin because he'll just forgive me. Amen. Lord, help us never, never abuse the grace of God. God doesn't want cultural conversion. He wants inward transformation by the grace of God changing us and leading us as far away from the edge as possible. Here's a story, I don't know the validity of it, but I read that the stagecoach was hiring drivers. And the first question was, how close to the edge can you drive? It was a mountainous route. How close to the edge can you drive? And the first, the first applicant said, I can drive four feet from the edge. That loose wagon and four horses pulling, I can, I can drive four feet. Second applicant said, four feet? I can drive a foot and a half. The third one was like, man, I can drive within nine inches of the edge. And the last one says, I have no idea. I never even risk it. To the fourth one, they said, you're hired. So today, how close to the edge are we trying to live? Are we trying to be as close as we can and still be under the umbrella of God's grace? Or are we saying, you know what? I want to fall in love with Jesus so much that keeping his commands is easy. In fact, the Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And really, that could be read as, man, when you fall madly in love with me and over, over head over heels in love with me, when you do that, it's gonna be easy to keep my commands because you love me so much. Like, I fell so in love with Tamara. I didn't wanna go out with anybody else. I didn't wanna call another girl. I didn't, we didn't even have, did we have email back then? I don't even know if we had email back then. Gosh, we are old, I didn't want to I wanted to be with her. I wanted to hang out with her. I wanted to go on dates with her. I wanted to ultimately marry her. I didn't. When we fall in love with Jesus, some of these other things fade away. The Bible is clear in that we are not called to be good, but godly. And we cannot continually, purposely, rebelliously, habitually, unrepentantly continue in sin saying, God's grace will forgive me because we're missing the whole point of surrendering our lives to Christ. That's the theology of it. The practice of it why not lie the example when God will forgive us? God will forgive you. But you lose trust you lose respect, you lose your character suffers, that you lose rapport. Sure, you can have an affair and God will forgive you, but you break marriages, you destroy the trust of your children, you jack up their futures in some ways because you've done dumb stuff. Does it make sense? Like, God will forgive you, but the relational side of it? You lie to your boss, God will forgive you, but you lie to your boss. Your boss isn't gonna trust you again. Like there's relational consequences as well. This isn't just what can we slip by with. Because we're called to have integrity. The Bible talks about us living our life with integrity. Do you know what? Integrity has the same root word as the word integer. Integer, if you know what that is, it's a whole number. It's not a number with a fraction or a portion underneath. It's a whole complete number. Integrity Integer. It's designed that our lives are to be whole what's happening privately happens publicly what happens in family happens in church that it's designed for us to live our lives with integrity whole together all restored under the balance and under the the grace of Christ so today we are called to not walk as close to the edge, but as far as the ed- from the edge as we can. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we won't be like Paul. The things I want to do, that I'm supposed- I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do sometimes, man. I Fall in love with Jesus and it will be easy to keep his command. that we would never abuse the grace of God. Father, today, that our hearts would be broken before you, that our lives would be surrendered to you, and that we would never endeavor to take advantage of the grace of God. And that, Lord, we would fall so in love with you that it would be easy to keep your commands. we fall so in love with you that, Lord, when we, when we make a mistake and not purposely sinning or rebelling, but when we make a mistake that our hearts feel broken. They feel s- sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Repentant. And repentance is turning away from whatever that was and turning to you. So today, let our hearts be broken and never abuse the grace of God. Father, today, we thank you for your grace that has saved us. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that has saved us, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for. The lives that, Lord, you have changed in this room, Lord. Some have been believers for years, and maybe even since childhood. Others have come to come to faith as adults. And I thank you for your grace that has been extended to us, extended to us, and that we would never walk in a way that would be that would abuse your grace. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. How many of you in here say, I want to walk as far away as possible. I want to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind, strength. I don't want to walk on the line. I want to walk as far away from the line as possible pursuing Jesus with all my heart. But that, how many of you would raise your hand and say, that's me today, that's my heart. I want to love God with everything in me today. Father, today, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, that, Lord, we would walk in the joy of the Lord, in the strength of the Lord, that, Lord, we wouldn't, Lord, inch along and we wouldn't lord walk in defeated christian lives but we would be victorious because of your grace victorious because of the empowering of your holy spirit victorious because of your love that today we would walk in victory god that we are not defeated we are victorious we are not lord behind but lord we are victorious because of you living in us god Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Father, I pray that we would walk, Lord, victorious over sin, walk in joy and not discouragement, joy and not depression, joy and not, Lord, just trudging along. We would walk in the joy of the Lord, with that the strength of our lives day after day. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And together we said as a church, Amen. Isn't God good today? Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.